Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Two years plus now since COVID had redefined our way of life, our business, and in general, all public affairs and private issues. I'm Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business, policy, and public affairs seen each and every week across the Carolinas for 30 years now. And this week is no different. We will unpack those things that are issues of the day. Later on, we are joined by the chief executive of one of the most cultural and oldest cities in the country, as well as the Carolinas. Mayor John Tecklenburg from Charleston joins us and we start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Patrick Woody of the NC Rural Center, Karen Reardon from the Myrtle Beach Area Chamber of Commerce, and special guest, Mayor John Tecklenburg of Charleston. Hello and welcome again to our program. Karen, Patrick, good to see you both. Thank you for joining us. Happy spring. Hope you all are doing well. Thank you. Uh, Karen, I'm going to start with you because I have these, uh, uh, it's almost PTSD of, of, of gridlock on Highway 501 heading into Myrtle Beach in the Grand Strand during this time of year. And I know that's probably the last thing you want to hear as a chamber exec, but uh, it has happened in the past. So it seems like the decades long dialogue around an I-73 interstate going into Myrtle Beach is actually taking shape. Do you feel like this is actually going to unfold now? Yes, Chris, we're feeling really hopeful. As you said, this has been a long journey, but um, I think that it's just been a, a, a total uh, understanding, I think, that maybe coming out of the COVID era has actually pushed this more to the forefront that as we plan for the growth uh, that we're having in South Carolina, particularly here along the coast, um, infrastructure is a huge issue. And um, Secretary Hall has a huge goal and, and a job in front of her, uh, not just with the creation of a new interstate like I-73, but of course, making sure the 95 exchange coming out of North Carolina is strong. I-26 is also on the list. So we do believe that road um, infrastructure overall to create better mobility, to reduce that traffic congestion is absolutely on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, not just our delegation here in the Grand Strand, but throughout the state. So we're feeling um, 
hopeful uh, that we'll be able to secure some state funding. We've got pledges of local funding from both Myrtle Beach and the city of North Myrtle Beach. Um, so we're excited about that. Of course, that will also allow us then to go after uh, grants. We'll be able to go after raise grants at the federal level uh, to match some of that money uh, to actually bring it to fruition. You know, Karen, and just one more quick word on that. So what you talk about is more than hope. It seems like there are real concrete plans now and many, and many people would blame the state house uh, in Colombia that there, there was a will, but there really wasn't a way to get the funding. Mm -hmm. But it mm -hmm. sounds like, is, is it accurate to say that the funding, majority of the funding looks like it's actually going to happen? Yeah, I think that is accurate. I think it, it's there. And again, we've just been in such a great position as a state. Um, we obviously have been able, like us, other states, to receive, um, you know, American Rescue Plan Act money. Um, but I think it's just that the policy that we've had as a state has allowed us to come out of COVID strong so that we have surplus. And so, of course, Ways and Means and Senate Finance have hard decisions to make, um, but the dollars are actually there to put towards priorities like roads, like, like tax reform, education reform, and other things that have been a priority but haven't always had the funding mechanism apparent for them. So I think we are feeling like this is the year that we could actually really see this come to fruition. Um, we've had a permit now since 2017 by the federal government. So uh, my fervent hope is that we actually turn dirt uh, later this year in 2022 and start uh, building this. And I know our friends in North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, all the way up to the Canadian border, we sit on a coalition together and they are doing the same thing in their states as well. North Carolina is way ahead of us. They have most of 73, 74 built, um, but we like to join them up there at the Rockingham uh, Exchange uh, with 73 South Carolina um, and actually get this party started. So we think it's gonna be huge for the state of South Carolina to have this interstate. Patrick, come on in the dialogue here and let's shift a little bit from uh, transportation mm -hmm. as Kieran just talked about the transportation corridor but let, let, let's look at another one of the big bugaboos, if you will, that are facing yeah. both the Carolinas, and that's the idea of Medicaid expansion. Uh, both general assemblies have really given the Heisman to taking these federal dollars. Is there a shift? Is there a thawing in the possibility of North Carolina's general assembly actually accepting these dollars in the near term? Yeah, it's been a long road uh, to try to to get us to Medicaid expansion. We're one of only 11 states, I guess South Carolina included in that 11 that haven't expanded Medicaid, uh, Medicaid yet. Uh, I believe in North Carolina, we're closer than we've ever been. There's a joint committee that's been appointed of both the House and the Senate that have been holding hearings over the last couple of months. We were invited to make a presentation to that uh, joint committee. And, and what I see is real momentum building toward expanding Medicaid in North Carolina. I think a lot of the issues that were at the forefront um, of, of, of preventing that from happening before have been addressed or have gone away as, as major issues. I'm more optimistic than I've ever been, uh, but we're not across the finish line yet. It would close uh, a coverage gap in North Carolina that affects about 600,000 North Carolinians. And among that group, that group is disproportionately rural. So the rural center has a real interest in, um, in, in seeing us get across the finish line. It would make a huge economic impact on our rural communities. 
Another important uh, element here is the idea of broadband access. As you talk about Medicaid, and yeah. Karen, as you talk about transportation, and both both of you all know that this broadband access has been um, a challenge to say the least. But it seems like there's money, there's a will, and it seems like a win for everyone. Karen, let me start with you. Broadband access in rural South Carolina is is it just trying to figure out policy around hanging on utility poles is that is that where we're is that what we're down to is that it yeah I think I think there are a lot of the most technical issues yes um, but and again we couldn't have a bigger supporter in South Carolina than representative Jim Clyburn there's not a conversation I have um, with Jim Clyburn that isn't about broadband and how important it is for all the citizens of South Carolina so it's not going to directly affect the Grand Strand because we're not rural. We do have you know access. We've got good uh, supply here uh, in terms of distribution and partners. Um, but as we go further into even our county that Myrtle Beach sits in of Oree County and go further out to the rural parts of South Carolina, um, it is a huge issue. Um, it definitely um, it, you know sets a table for us to be able to provide um, again better educational platforms uh, for our students, um, which is still a, a huge priority, I think, for every business owner in the state, um, because uh, educating our kids is critical. That is our future workforce. And if there's one topic that I hear more about than anything else in 2021 and so far in 2022, it's workforce and the future and making sure our kids are educated and ready to enter that workforce. And so broadband is a big, big place, uh, you know, at the table to help enable what we need to happen in education. So, so Patrick, in about a minute, let's let's give you the final word at least before we bring our guest in. The idea that how is it as simple as uh, trying just trying to figure out policy around allowing on utility poles, and is that more of a distract and redirect when it comes to partisan politics? Is that what it's down to? Well, there's a lot of partisan, not partisan politics, but there's a lot of politics that are caught up in the poll attachment issue, I would say that's not the major obstacle. The, the, the real obstacle is making sure there's accountability built into the system that as communities support applications by private providers to provide last mile service uh, in unserved or underserved areas, that, that, that we build that accountability into the system so that we're actually building the infrastructure and not just moving the dollars to the bottom line of a of a of a big for-profit um, provider, mm -hmm. um, and that that's that's an issue, quite frankly. And and one of the things we're doing at the rural center is helping communities know how to negotiate those agreements, and they're they are signing on to support applications to the state for last mile projects. It is actually the the internet service provider that makes that application. Uh, but they need to do so in partnership with a, a local government, and in this case, counties. Um, and so we're really working to educate the counties on how, how to go about making those agreements in a way that guarantees they get the end result that they want. We have far too many parts of rural North Carolina that are unserved or underserved. Um, and we have a, 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 a lot of interest and a lot of interesting partnerships that are coming together in our state among cooperatives, both telephone cooperatives and electric cooperatives and, and for-profit companies and a lot, a lot of small 
uh, ISP companies. It, so it, I'm really it, optimistic. Okay, it, so I, I was just going to ask you that, just to wind it up in 10 seconds, are you optimistic there's going to be a solution in the near term? I am, and even on poll attachments, we've got a solution. Our, our General Assembly put a $100 million poll attachment fund in place. That won't last forever, but it does provide a solution for the immediate future. It is hard not to be in love with the holy city. Who doesn't like the culture of Charleston? Who doesn't like the fact that it is personifies low country and drips southern style and culture? We welcome now the chief executive officer in, of sorts, of the, of the city of Charleston, Mayor John Tecklenburg. Your Honor, welcome to the program and thank you for joining us. So glad to be with you, Chris. Thank you. Uh, sir, let's, let's start with what you have uh, laid out as a top priority and that's the idea of flooding, of drainage. What has changed over the last few years that, that has made this uh, public enemy number one for you? Well, the realization that sea level rise is actually happening, it's real. And then the combination of extreme weather that we've seen year after year. It wasn't my fault, but when, after I got elected, it seemed like we had a hurricane come every year. There was uh, uh, Matthew, there was Irma, there was Michael, there was Florence. And so um, in addition, let me, let me share that we've been measuring the sea level in Charleston Harbor for over 100 years. And during that period, we've actually measured an average sea level rise increase of about 14 inches. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but listen to this. Over the last 20 years, the rate of increase has quadrupled so that half of that increase really came in the last 20 years. And NOAA just recently confirmed the projections that in the next 50 years, that we will see another foot to foot and a half increase. So when you're the low country and you've already got uh, tidal flooding occurring at, at, at high tides and closing off city streets, mm -hmm. this becomes an existential threat if you think about uh, the future in the next 50 to 100 years. And I'm not gonna be the mayor to sound the retreat call to the to the hills, to head for the hills. We're gonna protect this city. We love Charleston, it's such a beautiful place. It is worth protecting. And that's why this issue has really risen to the top. When you, I don't wanna characterize this darkly, but it, 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 it's a bit like whistling past the graveyard when you look at the example of what's going on in, in, in New Orleans, for one, certainly the Mississippi Delta. So are, are, are you optimistic that that Charleston leadership, low country, will be able to manage this, to keep Charleston the way it is? I am, because uh, we started strategies uh, a few years ago that included uh, building the projects for drainage, finding the resources, the money, and the expertise, including the friends of, uh, of the Dutch, uh, and also the Corps of Engineers to help us to setting policies so that in the city of Charleston, new development and redevelopment will do no harm to neighboring properties or to properties in their uh, uh, drainage basin. And importantly, involving our citizens. You know, we can all store water, have rain gardens, have cisterns, and make a difference in stormwater management. So it, it's, a, it's a function of learning to live with water and managing water. But also at the same time, you gotta do some infrastructure protection at the same time. Mm -hmm. Karen, question. 
Well, thank you, Mayor. And I think, again, uh, your economy, like the economy of the Grand Strand, is very dependent on tourism. So I'd love your thoughts on how this, you think, these proactive measures that you're taking um, with sea level rise and flooding, uh, what does that mean, do you think, for the future of tourism in Charleston and the Low Country? Well, as I say, flooding is an existential threat, not just to people that live here, but to people that visit. I mean, you're not going to have tourism if, if people are out wading in the water, right? So um, that's why all the measures that we're taking, the policies we're setting, um, will make a difference long term. Right now, the little city of Charleston is spending $100 million this year. That's a lot of money for a city our size on drainage improvements, everything from deep uh, tunnel systems to collect water and pump it out into the harbor to elevating the battery uh, to creating parks west ashley that will retain and store more water to doing maintenance on the old archway tunnel system that was put in place starting back in the 1840s it was the city's first sewer system we are fortifying it and reconnecting it to the stormwater system to improve drainage so we got all these things going at the same time and and the the the, the long term is to protect our city, not just for tourism, but for, for us been here's that live here. Absolutely, for your citizens. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Mayor, it's a pleasure to meet you. And you drive a, a very large and growing um, economy there in Charleston that uh, reaches out and has tentacles that reaches the suburban areas and, the, and then the rural areas. Um, I attended a conference at, at Duke University this past Monday really focused on uh, exploring and understanding the connections between uh, within metropolitan areas between the ur the real core urban parts and the uh, further out more remote rural parts of the region. And I, I wonder if you could just speak to uh, the connections that Charleston has to the more remote, less densely populated rural areas. I imagine workforce, healthcare delivery, um, uh, are some of the issues that are really Im important. Well, well, thank you, Patrick. And really, we, we, we talk about tourism a lot in Charleston, but really there are five pillars of our economy. And the first one is uh, the best port, natural port on the east coast of the United States. It connects not just Charleston, but South Carolina to the world. And in fact, they, they claim that one in 10 jobs in the state of South Carolina, rural areas included, can be tied to port activity. Second, our medical services here, led by the Medical University, um, are a major component of our economy. In fact, the hospital district of uh, Charleston is the highest density employment per acre, certainly within our metro uh, area, but I would bet uh, probably more as uh, is, is high as any place in the state. So as you know, the medical university is reaching out to other towns and cities and, and extending their healthcare network throughout the state. Um, thirdly, good old government funding uh, um, is still strong in the local economy here, but notably Charleston, Joint Base Charleston, our Air Force base combined with the other uh, armed services has a $12 billion impact on the local economy. And we can't thank enough 
our men and women who serve our country and the veteran population that has settled here in Charleston. So that's that's third. Fourth, and who would have guessed it 25 years ago when they closed the naval base? But manufacturing has really come back to Charleston. Of course, the big examples are Boeing and Volvo and Mercedes, but this has created thousands of high-paying, uh, good jobs for our area that, again, uh, not only impact the local economy, but they sell their products worldwide. So lastly, tourism, um, we, we've become a, a number one rated city in all these magazines, and we, we love the great benefits it has brought to our city. Uh, you wouldn't have the restaurant scene that we have in Charleston if this tourism hadn't occurred. So there, there are many uh, benefits. There are some challenges. We have to manage tourism when it gets to a level that it's at in Charleston. But um, I got to tell you, after COVID, we bounced back faster than I think any uh, destination market in the United States. We focused on regional tourism. Our uh, hotel occupant occupancy has been back pre-COVID levels for some time now. Our average daily rate for hotels is actually 20% higher than it was before the pandemic. Um, Charleston is is uh, is alive and happening. This weekend, we've got the Cooper River Bridge run, the, the uh, uh, tennis, uh, women's tennis tournament. Somerville has the Flower Town Festival. We're a happening place. If you hadn't been down here lately, come and visit. I don't think that's going to be lost on many people. A couple of program notes. Uh, uh, one of our panelists, I'd ask you all to turn the volume down on your machines. We're hearing a little bit of feedback. The other thing is this program for you that are watching this program uh, is being recorded the weekend of April 1st and 2nd. So our comments are are. are uh, a perspective of, of that weekend. Um, let me come back to something, Mayor, as you talked about COVID, and we are all now mostly out of the triage mode of reacting to what this public uh, health crisis was. Charleston, as it always does, historically goes through changes. Two years ago, there were protests, there were violence on King Street and in downtown, and it was scary, and I know it was for those of you that live in the Low Country. What have you learned about this balance between public safety and racial equity? What, what's, what's come of that? Well, they're not mutually exclusive. You um, have to embrace um, racial equity and racial conciliation, and we as a city have done that. In fact, we even apologized a few years ago for the city's direct role in the administration of slavery in our city, and, and that could be another day, another topic. It, it, it would blow your mind how in the weeds the city of Charleston was in managing and controlling the institution of slavery. Um, that being said, we did not fall into the trap of other cities around this country and the, the hogwash uh, of talking about defunding the police. In fact, we've increased our, our police and fire budget every year over the last six years. Uh, we now annually spend $10 million more per year on police, $12 million more on fire than we did when I first became mayor. Uh, we have uh, excellent leadership in uh, uh, Chief Luther Reynolds. Um, and I'm knocking on wood as I'm telling you this, but this year, um, Unlike many cities in America, our violent crime 
year to date here in 2022 is down 17%. Our nonviolent crime is down 21%. Uh, we're doing community policing. And, and part of that is, is because we have built trust. We did a, a racial bias audit of our police department and the way they were operating three years ago. And we make making those kinds of improvements to build trust with the community. And that leads to, to better public safety when you have trust with all segments of, of your citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about three minutes left, Karen. Workforce, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. I think we mentioned earlier in this segment just how important uh, our future uh, is tied to our children and their education, but also the ability to attract the workers that we need in Charleston, but throughout our whole state. So I'd love, Mayor, for you to touch a little bit on that and some of the strategies uh, that you are, your administration is looking at to attract great talent and keep great talents uh, in the low country. Well, thank you, Karen. And, and I think the best way to attract talent is having a great quality of life. And, and that's what we continue to focus on in Charleston and having such a beautiful place in the low country, working on our parks and, and making Charleston an even more livable space is really what attracts the talent that we've been seeing coming to Charleston. You know, from an economic development point of view, we started the Charleston a digital carter some years ago. We now uh, brag that we have 800 technology companies over the last, um, I guess it's been 15 years now that have located Charleston, driving up salaries. The average wage of our digital carter companies is now over $100,000 per year compared to hospitality uh, uh, employment and we have about in, a minute left, Mayor. In, in the 30s. So focusing on that quality of life um, really attracts the talent. And then focusing on those businesses that are technology, life sciences. We've got a separate life science uh, initiative going on as well as software and technology. And, and trying to improve the income and quality of life of our citizens. I think that's a ticket long term. Although everybody's got to acknowledge there's workforce um, uh, challenges right now after COVID finding employees. Mayor, thank you. And, and especially, we didn't get a chance to unpack your economic development background during the city and, and bring some of that out through affordable housing. So please come back. We hope you, we can get Oh, I'd, I'd love to. Please. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Thank you, panelists. Absolutely. Mayor, Patrick. thank you. Patrick, good to see you. Karen, good always to good you. to see you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. We hope your business and your weekend are good. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.